welcome to another episode of Sleep and Relax ASMR. This episode, I am doing a full-on ramble acapella. I don't have notes. I don't have a script. You know, I have a very vague idea of where I'm looking to start, but, um, you know, if you've listened to the show for a while, you know that these are my favorite. I find that this is, for one reason or another, perhaps because I like to just drone on about certain topics that don't really have that much of an impact on my life. Um, or, you know, I, I don't know. I'm not sure what the reason is, but I adore challenging myself creatively to just try and um, basically ramble incoherently for as long as possible with the ultimate goal of helping you detach from your day, perhaps falling asleep, perhaps taking a nap, perhaps just to distract yourself for a bit. Whatever it is you need, I'm hoping to help provide that, and uh, hopefully today's episode can aid in whatever it is you're going for. Now, of course, I just sort of gave you that uh, general breakdown, a general overview, but um, yeah, this is just going to be a ramble. It's going to be incoherent. I might stick on one topic for a little bit. I might jump around. So if you catch yourself dozing off a little bit and wondered how I got from one topic to the next, it's it's really not you, it's me. So I guess where I wanted to start for today was telling you a bit about my dream last night. If anything, just because it was one of those strange dreams that disorient you and I woke up from it about 10 minutes ago. So, I have a, a trip that I'm taking here soon. I actually have a flight to catch tomorrow. And I don't have a fear of flying. I don't have any sort of, you know, issue with the plane itself. But always, I've hated, like, the build-up leading up to it. I hate the checking in. I hate the packing I'm not going to say I hate, because I hate is a very, very strong word. But I've I've always disliked it. You know, I don't... Packing doesn't get me excited for my trip. Uh, picking out my seats doesn't really get me jazzed up about my upcoming trip. Um, you know, it's just the build-up. Now, perhaps, as is the case with most things in life... Once I get to the airport, once I'm checked in, once I, once I'm there physically, those kind of, um, let's call them anxieties, they dissipate or they fade away altogether because I'm there. And then it's like, okay, I've done this a hundred times, it's not that big a deal. But I think it's the idea of having to commit so much time and effort leading up to a trip that really bothers me. Again, it's not a fear of flying, it's not anything, but <clears throat> it's everything leading up to it. And then, of course, you're on a plane. If you have the disfortune, disfortune, is that a word? Disfortune, unfortunate, disfortune. If you're unfortunate enough to have a middle seat and um, be surrounded by two large gentlemen 
on either side, which has happened to me. Um, you know, it just makes it a little less fun, you know, makes it a little more uncomfortable. And that's always what I think of heading into the trip. Now, that's the wrong attitude. And I'll be the first to tell you, you know, I, I'm a pretty positive guy overall. But trips, airplanes, airports, in this case, I have to go through immigration. It's just a hassle, I guess that's the thing. And that hassle, you know, requires you to spend so much time leading up to it and during it. So, anyway, this is an extremely... I mean, no one enjoys going to the airport, right? I mean, I've never met someone who the best part of their trip is getting to the airport or having to deal with immigration. So, anyway, this was like a very long-winded way of saying that I'm taking a flight tomorrow. And because of everything I just described, that general sense of anxiety and kind of loathing that process, I do usually have dreams leading up to my trip. And uh, the dream I had last night was, it was the day of the trip, you know, the day of, you know, so tomorrow. So in my dream, it's the day of my flight. And I decided in my dream that it was more important for me to go for a two-hour walk than it was to go to the airport. So in my dream, I know that my flight leaves in three weeks, or excuse me, three weeks, in three hours, but I just convinced myself I'll have enough time. So I basically go for a two-hour walk by the time I get back uh, home. I, of course, recognize I'm not going to make the flight. I end up going to the airport anyway. And I proceed to basically go up to some random... What do you call them? Ticket cashier? Ticket concierge? Ticket service? Whatever. Kiosk? Whatever you call them. And I pretty much just said, listen, I know that I just missed my flight. I want to rebook a flight for that same day. Now, the logical thing in that case would be, in the context of what just happened, to book a flight for the same destination. But that's not what I did in my dream. In my dream, what I decided was, a better idea was, give me a ticket to anywhere. Give me the, whichever flight leaves the soonest. Doesn't matter the destination. I want to book a ticket now, and I just want to fly there. Proceed to buy my ticket, not really knowing where I'm going. And in my dream, this is how vivid it was. I went through the ticket, you know, the I went through TSA, I went through uh, all of that. I took out my my laptop, which I can't believe that still, you know, we, we still require... You know, like the removal of laptops from bags. You would sort of think that technology would advance to a point where perhaps we didn't need to do that. But, you know, here we are. I take my shoes off. You know, this is all happening in my dream, right? Now, of course, when you're in the middle of a dream, you 
there are plenty of things that occur during the course of the dream that you don't necessarily understand, you know, if it happened in real life or it, it would make no sense in real life. A good example is I would never take a two-hour walk three hours before my flight, but in the context of my dream, that is exactly what I did and exactly what made sense at the time. And so, go through TSA in my dream. I get to some, and I remember this very vividly. Um, I remember walking through a very familiar part of the airport, of this particular airport that I always fly in and out of. And I remember there just being like a long hallway. Mind you, when I purchased my ticket for my flight to the middle of who knows where, the person giving me the ticket didn't specify where I was going, and I don't even think they specified the gate, but I kind of just knew where to go. Again, in the context of a dream, it made perfect sense. So, I walk down this long hallway. It's not creepy, by the way. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of making it seem like it's like this ominous thing. There was nothing ominous about this trip, so there's no need to worry that this is like, it's not a scary story or anything. On the contrary, I mean, it's, it's really just a stupid, goofy story. Walk down this long hallway, get to this part of the airport that in real life I've never seen, but again, in the dream, it makes it seem like you've always been there. You know, I've always known that this part of the airport exists. Of course I don't, because it doesn't actually exist. takes me a while. You know how in dreams you move very slowly. So I was moving very slowly. I noticed people were passing me by. And um, I was hungry. So I find it must have been like a pizza or something. And again, this is really how vivid the details were. I don't remember what chain it was, but I remember getting pizza. I was eating pizza in my gate. And then probably five minutes go by, you know, in the dream which to me felt like two seconds. And then bought my pizza and then sat down. As soon as I sat down, pretty much just swallowed it whole. <laughs> you know, everything is different timing, right? Different pace in dreams. So boarded my flight at the end. It was like a half full flight, relatively small plane. And the plane took off. And the flight in total was... 30 seconds to me again, just sitting there in the plane in this dream thinking, yeah, of course, that's how long it takes to get to your destination on planes, 30 seconds, meaning it would have been literally faster and a whole lot cheaper just to walk to wherever it was I was going, but the ride was 30 seconds, and I ended up just kind of like what I assumed to be like a Midwestern kind of town. You know, maybe I was in Oklahoma, maybe I was in, I don't know, Illinois, Michigan, um, Indiana, I don't know. You know, I didn't have my luggage with me, so that's, I just get off the plane, and literally, I don't have to go through anything, I get off the plane, and I'm pretty much just in this town, and then I kind of get teleported to kind of like a small downtownish area. And the dream itself was fine otherwise, but then I wake up from my dream, and then I was so disoriented that for two or three minutes, I kind of needed to, like, remember, okay, 
when is my flight? Okay, it is tomorrow. Um, am I packed? Yes, I'm packed. Did I buy? T- I bought my ticket. I bought. You know, I got my seat. I got everything. So that's kind of how I started this morning, just incredibly disoriented and having a very vivid dream, which I get quite a few of those. I've noticed that there's a specific supplement that when I take it, which is supposed to help with, you know, my overall sleep quality and sort of mood and all that. It's nothing crazy, don't worry. I have noticed that I'll have more uh, vivid dreams, like another recent one that was very long was I went to a baseball game and I was with four people and it was a group of four people that I know in real life but that they really have nothing to do with each other. I mean, it would be, you know, one was a high school friend, one was a friend from the gym. I wouldn't even really consider, like, a friend like that. I mean, just an acquaintance, right? We all have that. We have those couple people at the gym, right, that you just run into so often that you can't help but just say hello. So that gentleman was there. And then I had uh, two family members, but... I'm very close with my family. We spend a lot of time together, but in the co- in the context of hanging out as a group, it made no sense for those two family members to be there. And so in the stream, we're pretty much just watching a baseball game together as if we're like four best friends, just <laughs> like we've always done this. We've always gone to baseball games together. I have a professional team, an MLB team here where I live, but this game was not, it wasn't an MLB game. It was kind of like, almost like a minor league game. And we were just there. And I would be teleported from my seats to, at one point I was in the dugout. And then in the dream, it looks like there was an injury. And they actually asked me to go up and, uh, and pinch it and actually get into the game. And so, in the dream, they just got me a uniform. I go up to the plate, and I don't quite recall if I did well. I don't remember if I got a hit. I don't remember if I struck out. I think the dream probably ended right around there. And actually, when I was waking up from that one, I was trying to go back to sleep. You ever do that where you have a dream that's so good that you try to go back to sleep in the hopes of being able to sort of relive it? Or like continue the dream. That actually has happened once for me. I don't remember the dream. But I do remember. How should I describe it? Um, Maybe like. I was somewhat lucid. I think that's the way to describe it. Like. I was still in my dream. But I recognized that I was dreaming. I knew I was dreaming. I was very present. And so, as I was kind of waking up a little bit, I was firmly in my dream, but I knew I was waking up a little bit. And so my eyes did open. But when I woke up, like when I opened my eyes, I was very conscious that I wanted to continue that dream. So I closed my eyes 
And I think I did continue that dream very briefly. But it's hard to remember, obviously. There has been one time, which I'd love to know if you've ever done this. There has been one time that I was extremely present in a dream. Like, I, I knew I was dreaming. And what's interesting is, I mean, I'm saying it's interesting. It might not be interesting at all. <laughs> but for me, it's interesting. I, um, I was very purposeful the rest of the dream. So, for example, in my dream, once I recognized I was, in fact, in a deep slumber, I decided, okay, it's my dream, I can do whatever. So I um, started flying. I decided, okay, I'm going to soar through. And then I remember at another point I said, oh, I want to... I basically want to be, like, in a Mortal Kombat game. You know, I want to be... I want to be a um, a character, like in Mortal Kombat, obviously without feeling pain or anything like that. I mean, granted, I must have been 12 when this happened. Yeah, I must have been 11 or 12. And uh, it was very short-lived, but that's the one time I remember very clearly having control over my dreams and of course I've had some recurring dreams um, you know I have this recurring dream of kind of being like in a it almost looks like a cottage like a lake house kind of like a retirement place like where Canadians from Ontario at least love to retire they love their in Ontario they really love their lake houses they love their little cottages they love just going up there for long long weekends and uh, and yeah it's a thing it's cute I like it I like it it's fun it's a lot of maintenance to be fair cottages are you know I've I've had the pleasure of staying in a couple different uh little colleges, colleges, a couple different cottages up in Ontario, Canada. And um, one thing I will say is if you don't like upkeep, if you don't like maintenance, if you don't like outdoor work, then the cottage life is probably not for you or you have to be prepared to spend a lot of money. Now, to be fair, the cottages that I've Frequented, only been two, so I'm not sure why I'm making it seem like I've been to 10 million cottages. But I've stayed in two different cottages. And um, something I've noticed in these different cottages is, you know, the people that live nearby, you know, in one case, it was pretty much like one big piece of property that had been kind of like subdivided but you could very clearly see the other cottages you know it wasn't it wasn't like you had an acre of land to yourself right and obviously you're sharing the water so you know everyone had a boat everyone would you know dock their boats and so um they would pretty much in this case like their front porch let's call it you know, everyone would be looking out their front porch because their front porch was 
well, I mean, I'm saying front porch. It can be their back porch. You know, depending on the orientation of the house, I guess technically it's their backyard or their back porch, whatever. You know, everyone would hang out around there because you get to view the sunset there. You get to view the water. So you can see people coming and going. This is a detail that doesn't matter. So I'm not sure why I'm, um, you know, bringing it up. I, I guess if anything is to say, I guess because of, you know, how easy it was to sort of see people coming and going, you know, these people that had lived or uh, vacationed in these cottages, they have been doing so for so long that, you know, seven, eight cottagers together, like those different families were, were pretty close, you know, happy hour together and um, frequently having dinner together, not necessarily everyone together at the same time, but, you know, very much so like for a holiday weekend. You know, it'd be a happy hour, they meet at someone's uh, place, and they just kind of play cards and, you know, eat some food and drink. Again, th these are not super important details. But the one thing that I noticed was just how much of a... how much they they sort of valued the idea of you being able to maintain your own cottage in other words they pretty much never asked anyone to do anything for them so what they would do is if they had a big project you know the owner of the cottage would pretty much you know they could ask for advice or whatever but they're not bringing in someone else to go do the work for them for the most part i mean i'm talking about building literal additions to garages, um, sh building sheds from scratch, um, in some cases replacing siding, replacing uh, decks, replacing doors, replacing windows. In other words, it's not like these people like brought in, you know, a handyman to sort of do some of their work. Um, so I guess that's the one thing, and there's always something. You know, every time I was there, there was always something that had to get done. You know, either the cottage was sort of out of date, and so now the idea was, okay, we need to renovate the place a little bit, or, you know, this sliding door is busted, we have to fix or replace it. You know, the, the, the plumbing is not working, so now we have to replace, you know, to we have to update it to PVC piping. And again, these people would pretty much do their work, like, as a community. So, like, on a random weekend that they're there, one guy who knows more about plumbing would basically be bribed with, you know, like, a six-pack <laughs> to come and help uh, with their plumbing issues. Which is a really lovely experience, like, to see kind of like a small, like, really small, like, micro-community almost kind of always be there to help each other out. And they really valued that. But definitely you have to be willing to learn and you have to be willing to do a lot of the work. You know, I mean, the closest town was probably about a 15-minute drive, so it wasn't too isolated by any stretch of the imagination. It's not like... It's not like they would... It's not like there wasn't, you know, a hardware store 10 minutes away or something like that. You know, it's not like they didn't have, like, relatively 
moderate-sized cities within 45 minutes. And, you know, there were major, major cities from an hour, hour and a half away. You know, ultimately, these people obviously lived and worked in these major cities that were, you know, anywhere between an hour and an hour and a half away from their cottages. And for the vast majority of them, their idea was to, is to, or was to retire and live in the cottage. And one of the residents there, one of the owners, one of the cottagers, uh, he did in fact live there full time. And he had actually been living there for, I believe, 15 years, kind of like by himself. I'm not sure how I got started on the topic of cottages. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. My my recurring dream. <laughs> See, this is the beauty of these acapella rambles. I can kind of go on about nothing that significant about cottages and you know how cottagers, um, you know how to have a cottage. You really have to be, you know, big into the idea of kind of like being handy. And, um, you know, you, it's like part of their identity almost, you know, at least the different cottagers I met, they took a lot of pride in being able to sort of resolve their own problems, you know, for cheaper, using the help of, you know, their neighbors, that kind of stuff. So certainly if I were ever in the market for a cottage, if I ever were, um, Gonna live that lifestyle. I'd have to be a bit more, a bit more handy, and I have to be a little bit more willing to. You know, I obviously, I have a very firm belief that the way you grew up, um, kind of like how your parents' relationship was to. This is obviously a huge generalization, so it's not to offend anyone either. I don't even think it's that controversial of a topic. It's just kind of my own observation. But your parents or your guardians view on repairs and maintenance and handiness in general. It's kind of what shapes you. Kind of the way I grew up, it was this emphasis, I think, on minimizing the maintenance and repairs necessary by not necessarily being extremely lavish and kind of just... Certainly, I'm not going to say let things go to waste, but certainly I'm going to say it, it was less, in my opinion, about trying to repair and maintain, and it was more about focusing on on less on things that are more important and having less things, and the less things you have around you, kind of the less you have to repair. You know, that's kind of the way of viewing it. And neither my mother nor my father were, well, I'm saying were, they are. Neither of them are exceptionally handy. And so, because they never really had the attitude of, you know, hey, we're going to, you know, grab this Allen key, we're going to grab this drill, and we're going to get this, you know, box cutter, and we're going to get this small piece of plywood and, you know, this hacksaw or whatever 
because I never saw them really doing that. In turn, I never really grew up with this idea of like, oh yeah, you know, I'm gonna fix these things or I'm gonna be extremely creative when it comes to these projects. You know, meanwhile, one of my best friends is actually the opposite. You know, his dad was always the kind of guy that said, you know, before you go out and buy something, before you ask someone for help, why don't you try it? Fix it yourself. So his attitude very much is, well, I'm sure. And at this point, he has so much kind of like hands-on experience working on a variety of different projects that, you know, there's very little that he either can't fix or he at least doesn't know. He doesn't, he always knows enough about something in order to at least bring someone in to help him. You know, someone that with more know-how. Um, so that's kind of been the way that I, I view that. Whereas with me, it's always been, which is not preferred. I mean, if, if I had it my way, I would have preferred to have grown up kind of being more encouraged to try these handy projects and all that. And don't be so concerned about breaking something, you know, it can always be fixed for the most part. But anyway, you know, I just didn't grow up kind of like valuing being handy, but certainly these cottagers in Ontario long grew up, you know, with that kind of being part of their identity, you know, well, I can do flooring, I can do, you know, installations, I can find ways to get stoves up and down hills, I can find ways to build a new fire pit, I can find ways to rebuild my dock, I can find ways to, you know, whatever, whatever the case maybe but you know again that's just a a difference in culture a difference in ways of growing up well let me let me finally conclude with my recurring dream that's how I got on the topic of cottages was this recurring dream I have where basically there's a cottage that I've never been to it kind of has elements of my home and some of the cottages that I've been to, but it's not its not a recurring dream that is located in any specific place I've been to. But it's basically just a, you know, lake house or a cottage, whatever you want to say, whatever you want to call it. And I usually have a couple of, like, the same family members always there. And we kind of just hang out, you know. So sometimes we, in the dream, we've kind of like, we've honestly just watched TV. And it's been a very quick dream, like in and out. Other times we've gone into town, a town that I've never been to, but almost like we're locals. And we kind of go in and out. And I've probably had like some version of this recurring dream, maybe eight or ten times, somewhere in that range, where it's like when I'm there again, I kind of am able to recognize like, oh, okay, interesting, you know, I'm back, I'm back here, you know, so the, the central theme is always being present in this cottage that apparently, or lake house that in my head, I don't know, maybe I'm manifesting or maybe it's destiny that one day I will have that lake house. But, um, 
yeah, every time I go. I mean, it's been probably at this point, I'm going to say three or four years since the last time I had that dream. Although you really shouldn't ask me because I'm so bad at telling time. The other day, uh, someone was asking me about a, the gym that I go to. I said, oh, I've been going there for maybe five or six years. And then the guy left. And then I kind of thought to myself, no, it's been a lot longer than that. And I did the math. I've been a member of that gym for 14 years. <laughs> but it hasn't felt like I've been there for 14 years. I mean, think about it. 14 years I've been a member of some establishment. And to me, it just felt like, yeah, oh, I don't know, five years, six years at most. No, 14 years. That's that's huge. And I'm just, I've always been so bad at kind of gauging time like that. Like, I've always been, I've just always been awful at doing that. But I feel like that's a different topic for a different day. So anyway, I think I'm going to conclude the ramble here. I have to uh, get ready for the office. I have to get ready for my flight tomorrow, which I will not miss because of a three-hour walk. Hope you guys enjoyed this very drawn-out ramble, I guess, mostly about dreams and cottages. Um, if you enjoy these rambles, these kind of like acapella, whatever kind of comes to my head rambles, let me know. You can email me at hello at sleepandrelaxasmr.com. Obviously, you can visit our website, uh, sleepandrelaxasmr.com. That's all for this episode. Thanks, as always, for listening. And take care.